0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, my name is Jeremy Bauer. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. Because it'd be strange if I wasn't. So, we're going to continue the sermon series of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Earlier this summer, we began going through this and we started it off with the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. A few weeks ago, Pastor John talked about how we need to be salt and light to this world. And then the week after, he talked about Christ and the relationship with the law. And I want to just go back and read that because it has everything to do with how I conclude the sermon, Matthew five seventeen through 20. Jesus says, "...do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them." And the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Last Sunday, we heard Pastor Demtow, who is one of the missionaries we support in the continent of Africa, and we got to hear his testimony of the pain that he experienced when he found out that his wife was having an affair with the man who was his mentor of 23 years. And the extreme grief this caused in his life, but also the freedom he experienced when he was willing to surrender his anger to the Lord. And the Lord asked him to forgive his wife and to forgive his mentor. And then after that, he offered God's blessing to each of them. And at that point, he was set free from his anger. And he talked about that funny little belly button experience, right, that uh, most of us giggled at. Well, if you didn't hear that sermon last week or the sermon a couple of weeks ago, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to it uh, because all these sermons are building on another. On a lighter note, this morning I'm talking about adultery and murder, Which I don't think is by coincidence because Pastor Demtow talked about both of these things. And in fact, when Pastor Demtow put together his sermon, uh, he called it Unstoppable. And Connor, picking out the songs of last Sunday's worship, without knowing what Pastor Demtow was going to talk on, chose Unstoppable God. So God is truly at work, and God, it is not by coincidence that God has established this sermon in this particular part of our series on this Sunday. God orchestrates all things together. So beginning in Matthew 5, starting in verse 21, "'You have heard it said to the people long ago, "'You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. "'But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment.'" Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court, and do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the very last penny." Now the first instance of murder in the Bible which we read about is in Genesis chapter four, verse eight, with Cain and Abel. It says, "Now Cain said to his brother Abel, "Let's go out to the field." And while they were still in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, when we read the NIV translations, typically the version I read, the NIV, NRSV, ESV, whatever, um, the ESP, no. Uh, ESPN. So in the NIV, it's translated from this word kill from Hebrew, harak, which sometimes means murder, but also sometimes means kill. But there's another Hebrew word called rashach, and that means murder. In fact, rashach is, referred, is the word that is used in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, as well as the reiteration of the law in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So, but both of these words are always used when there is an unjustified homicide. Now, when looking at the English translations that we have in our Bible, sometimes we use murder and killing uh, synonymously with one another, and sometimes in the Hebrew, they're used synonymously as well. And as I was doing a word study, because we've all wanted to know, hey, what's the difference between these two things? I was like, oh, well, clearly there's going to be a, a difference. And my professor, Dr. William Lyons, would not have been fully impressed with my word study as I went through this. I am definitely not a Hebrew scholar, but I saw that there were um, this word, Rashach, as well as Harak, and they were used simultaneously or synonymously with one another. But what I did find <clears throat> is that in his commentary on the Decalogue of Exodus, uh, Rabbi Samuel ben Meir, and this is circa 1085 to 1158, he argues that rashach always means murder. It can only mean murder. And this is the best way of understanding what Jesus is getting at. First, I think in this instance, for us to understand the difference between these two Hebrew words, first, let me go back, is to understand in our current judicial system, right, we have first-degree murder, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, we have manslaughter, we have all kinds of laws of judicial punishments depending on intent. So if you want to know more about that, you can talk to our lawyer, Jeff Houston, um, and I'm sure he'd be able to give you a much better explanation of that. But when we come to the passage in Matthew, Jesus says, you shall not murder. He's using this Greek word, fanuo, which describes murder intentionally. It's the personal desire, the personal acting out on one's uh, person to go and do this. Matthew 5, 21 through 22, Jesus takes both the Hebrew understanding of murder and killing, right? And this Greek word, which is always used in cases of murder and malice and the anger and the intent behind one's heart. Well, here we go. I'll tell you, uh, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Man. Now, hypothetically speaking, and I, okay, no, I've used this analogy a lot Right? Driving on Main Street. How many times have you heard me talk about driving on Main Street? Right? We talked about lines in the Main Street, doing U-turns in the Main Street, closing off Main Street. Well, hypothetically speaking, I'm driving on Main Street, and someone is in front of me in the left-hand lane, and they stop in the middle of the intersection. Again, hypothetically speaking. And they just stop. And then they turn left without using their turn signal. Now, hypothetically speaking, again, of course, I could get angry about that. Now, is being angry in that moment a sin? I don't think it's a sin to be angry because anger is a human emotion. Now, if I decide to follow them to their final destination, get out of my car and pontificate, of all the reasons why I was angry and use uh, non-edifying language or gestures, that uh, that might be sinning then, all right? Jesus got angry. Jesus overturned the tables in the temple. He called people a brood of vipers. And the Apostle Paul kind of talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 26 through 27, the Apostle Paul says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And then a little bit further in verse 29, it says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but is what is only helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who hear or listen. So that's how I came to my conclusion about the hypothetical situation on Main Street, about being angry, but then acting out on that anger. When I was younger... And, and don't let this word younger fool you. I mean, yesterday I was younger than I am today, right? But when I was younger, I would get angry a lot. I was angry a lot. And usually I was angry with my sister, Now, this was decades ago. This wasn't yesterday, but this was decades ago. But I was angry, and I would get angry at my sister for all kinds of things. And I would lash out physically and verbally. And that was sinning. All right? I was sinning. And other times, I would be angry about so many different things that I didn't need to be angry about. It's because I was angry about the situation or the perceived reality I found myself in. I was getting angry about things that in reality weren't against me or weren't directed towards me, but I would take it personally, and I would harbor up anger And as I was writing out this sermon this week, I just happened to get an email message from uh, Sandra Wagner, who is the Kansas Resiliency Risk Reduction and Suicide Prevention Program Manager. And she sends out resiliency tips once a month. And she said, look, this month's tip is avoiding thinking traps. I've had some refer to it as stinking thinking. We can get caught up in a storyline that is not true, but we have convinced ourselves that it is. Everything someone says fits into our storyline, and we get trapped. And if we challenge that story and ask questions to clarify another's meaning, we could find out that we misunderstand their intentions and end up with a totally different ending than expected. It could be said that we were in a doom and gloom mode, and everything we see is negative. It's good to sit back and ask questions about our situation. Is this really as bleak as we see it? Is there a better way to approach a situation? Is it really the worst thing that has ever happened to us? Sometimes telling our story out loud or to a friend or writing it in a journal helps us get out of the stinking thinking trap and see things in a better light. Remember, challenge the story. Sometimes we think we can be justified in our anger, and sometimes we can be justified in our anger. We can have a righteous anger that comes from seeing injustices play out or wrongs that have been committed. Those are things that naturally and are okay to be angry with. But at other times, the anger can lead us into situations where we'll go into sin or sinning in our anger. Jesus says that if you are harboring this kind of anger in your hearts against someone, either wanting harm to come to them or wishing evil upon them, you are committing rasha in your heart against them. You have committed that sin already. And this is further backed up when Jesus continues his teaching along the same thought. He says again, anyone who says to his brother rakah is answerable to the court. And anyone says, you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. This word "raka" in Greek literally means good for nothing. And the Hebrew has a similar word called drek. I'm trying to say that right. It's like a drek, 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 anyway. Which is empty, idle, worthless. It's essentially telling someone you are good for nothing, you are as good as dead. And then we say, you know, Jesus says, you know, don't call anybody a fool either. That's the Greek word moros, was where we get the Greek, where we get the current English word moron. Don't do that either. It's just as bad. But Jesus tells us how to reconcile this. If we are having this much anger in our heart, he says how we should go about this, and how we approach God in worship. And Pastor Demtow spoke about this last week, this very thing when he experienced his initial reaction to his wife and his mentor of 23 years having an affair together, he wanted them dead. He said that. He's like, I wanted to kill them, literally. I was that angry. But as soon as he was willing to forgive, as soon as he was allowing God to take that anger from him, he changed. God changed him. And he was able to offer a blessing. He was set free. And Jesus gives us this process to reconcile the relationships, starting in verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled to them and then come offer your gift Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court, and do it while you are still along the way. Because when you get there, the judge is going to hand you over to the officer, the officer is going to throw you into jail, and you're not getting out until you pay the last penny. Harboring this type of anger really only hurts us in our hearts. And in the long run, God desires all of us to be set free from this type of anger. I also don't think it's by coincidence that murder in this section is followed with adultery. Once again, Jesus is challenging his hearers and us today. Because what better way, and Pastor Demtel talked about this last week, that that type of betrayal, that type of hurt could lead us to killing someone. Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. "'But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. "'If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. "'It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown in hell. "'And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it away. "'It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell.' This is, again, not just about the physical sin, actually acting out physically. It's talking about what is the intent behind our motivation in the first place. Jesus is wanting us to be free of both of these. And in verse 27 through 30, when Jesus talks about adultery, it's fairly straightforward. There's really not much to elaborate on. But this word lust, I want to elaborate on this. I'm kind of geeking it out with the Greek and Hebrew this morning. So I don't normally do, you know, an exegetical extrapolation of, of some verses. But I think it was important to understand this one. Epithumo, which is actually two words put together, epi and thumo. Epi is simply a prepositional word. It's on, at, by, before, you know, one of those types of things. But thumos, from thumas means passion. It's heat. It's anger. It's, think of it as someone who is driven by uh, alcohol or something like this, which drives them mad or kills them with its strength. It's something that inflames someone so much that they cannot think clearly. They cannot get outside of themselves in the situation, right? But Jesus says, look, don't let that thought even take place in your mind, Don't let it take place in your heart. This is what the Ten Commandments was essentially saying. You know, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or spouse. They're not for you. They don't belong to you. And this just drives a person to make incredibly dumb decisions, which is actually having an affair, So don't let that thought take place in your heart first and foremost. You've got to deal with that. Don't let it settle there. Don't let that sin take root in your heart and your mind. Because if you allow those things to stay in your mind, it might not be too much further along this road to destruction. The seed of anger that is in our hearts can lead us to malice, even desiring someone dead and actually physically acting out upon that. It's just as bad. And Jesus says, don't let it get planted in your heart. If you're harboring that kind of anger, you've got to let it go. Don't ruin the relationship. Don't cause harm to someone else. In the same way, don't let lust get implanted in your mind or your heart either, because these are just the beginning stages of acting out on those impulses, which is just as bad. Now, I didn't say this in my sermon, but I was thinking about it before coming up here. If any of you are married right now, men or women, right? If any of you are married, and you're starting to develop a relationship with someone who is not your spouse, stop. Don't do it. If you're listening online, same goes for you. Just don't do it. All right? It's bad. And don't allow those thoughts of doing those kinds of things take place either. It's not right. So there there is my conviction for all of you today. Okay. James 1, 13 through 15 says, When someone is tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person who is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires are and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to To death. And this is how I wanted to tie the first verses, verses 17 through 20, and how I want to tie them in with today's message. It is entirely impossible to not commit these two sins. Now, I would ask for an amen for that, but. That would just mean that you're perhaps convicted. But in your hearts, you can say amen. It's impossible for any of us to be completely perfect in these two ways. And even if we get one of them right, we're going to get the other one wrong. Amen? it's uh, yeah, fine. All right. But this is why Christ came to fulfill the law. And this is why I read verses 17 through 21st. It is impossible to keep the law perfectly. And that's why Christ came. He came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law and live a perfect life. He came to earth. And he came to challenge us and push us and move us beyond what just the actions are to our heart, to our mind. It's a much higher standard of living than just simply following some rules he's getting at our heart. James 2, 8 through 13 says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law's lawbreakers. Forever, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery, I wonder who that was, and you shall not murder, I wonder who that was who said that. If you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This message that Jesus is giving to us is a way higher standard. It's a way higher standard than just simply following a bunch of actionable rules. He's getting at our heart. We shall now recognize that we cannot possibly keep all these laws, all these commands that Jesus is giving to us, that he is reiterating from the law of the prophets. We can't keep those perfectly. And so we have to have a Savior who takes those sins away and gives us mercy. Mercy, withholding what we do deserve. And we all know if we deserve mercy, what our actions and our, what our hearts and our minds have done, we know that we all deserve death. But thanks be to God that he saved us while we were still sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. We can only stand up against these temptations because of Christ and the Holy Spirit living in us. And so we lean into the Holy Spirit. We follow his promptings and keep us from harboring those thoughts in our minds. Because that's just simply the first step to the road of destruction. Okay, there it was. On a much lighter note, next week, Pastor John's going to talk about divorce and remarriage. (laughs) So you'll want to stick around next Sunday. Well, don't stick around here until next Sunday. But make sure that you come back here next Sunday.